This program is brought to you by Stanford on iTunes U at Stanford University. Please visit us at itunes.stanford.edu. Tell you a story tonight about the development of new treatments for lymphoma, but uh, actually the treatments may someday also apply to other kinds of cancer other than lymphoma, and I think I have some examples of that to show you. So to begin with, you need to know something about the immune system, the body's immune system. We can divide the immune system up into two parts, two basic parts. Different kinds of cells in the body and the blood uh, take different functions of the immune system. So we have a, a group of cells called the B cells, and their function is to make antibodies these molecules that float around in the serum and in the blood that recognize foreign substances and bind to them and eliminate them from the body. And then we have another group of cells called the T cells, and they also float around in the blood. Uh, they're also part of the white cells in the blood. Uh, and what they make is a, is a molecule on their surface, cell receptor, and it is able to recognize abnormal cells uh, sometimes cancer cells, sometimes virus-infected cells, by virtue of the uh, targets that those cells have on their surface. So these T-cell receptors recognize these targets, and, and they kill these abnormal cells. What I'm going to tell you tonight is a story about the development of new treatments based on these two arms of the immune system. This is a list by year of the FDA approval of monoclonal antibodies for the treatment of various human conditions including cancer, starting in 1986 with the approval by the FDA of the first one, uh, which was used to treat uh, patients with kidney transplants, to keep them from rejecting their kidney transplants. And you can see over the years, there's been a steady uh, increase in the number of these monoclonal antibodies uh, used to treat a variety of things, uh, including heart disease, uh, lymphoma, tissue transplants, autoimmune disease, breast cancer, leukemia, psoriasis, and just uh, last month we had the approval of two new monoclonal antibodies for the treatment of colon cancer. So we have this modern doctor has a variety of uh, things to pick from, a big menu, an expanding menu of these antibodies used to treat uh, cancer and other kinds of human conditions. And I think that in the pipeline now, there, there are probably 100 more of these antibodies being developed by various companies around the world. Uh, and um, that list is certainly going to get over the next uh, several years. The thing that got me interested in this topic in the beginning, uh, about 30 years ago, was this picture that I saw in, a, in one of our journals. And this is a special kind of a mouse. This is a mouse that doesn't have a good immune system. It has a genetic defect, 
and it, it can be used to grow tumors in, even uh, tumors from people. So this is a, a human colon cancer growing, uh, injected into the side of this mouse, and it's growing in the mouse. And the mouse has been injected with a proactive form of an antibody. And so this is an x-ray of that mouse, uh, and it's detecting the localization of the antibody in that tumor. What it shows is that if the antibody can recognize the cancer cells and distinguish it from normal cells in the body, then the antibody can localize, glom onto those cancer cells, and bring this radiation tag to the cancer cells in the body. And in fact, this could be the principle of a new form of treatment of cancer. Play the tape forward 30 years. This is a real picture of a real person uh, taken here at Stanford by our colleague, uh, Dr. Susan Knox. And it shows the injection of a person with a uh, radiation-tagged monoclonal antibody called Zevalin. And after four hours, three days, six days, first you see the, the antibody distributed throughout the whole body in the, in the bloodstream and uh, in the heart. And after time goes by, it, it, it's eliminated from the body except where it happens to stick. And it's sticking here uh, to these lymph nodes that are in the, in the abdomen of the body of this person. And this is a, an x-ray called a CT scan, which is uh, a slice through the body with the person's feet sticking out toward you. And it shows the collection of these abnormal lymph nodes right here in the middle next to the kidneys here. And that's exactly where the radiation tag uh, antibody is localizing. So this is a, a new treatment for lymphoma that was approved by the FDA last year and is remarkably effective in, in treating the disease. So that's a 30-year span of time from the time we first saw that mouse to the time we actually had a treatment for people based on this principle. So going back now 30 years to the making of antibodies and the cloning of the cells that make the antibodies, the original experiment was done by a fellow named Norman Kleinman who took a mouse that was making antibodies and took the B cells, remember I told you about those B cells, from, those, from uh, that mouse uh, that was in the spleen of that and chopped up the spleen into little pieces and grew those little pieces in these dishes in the incubator. And those little pieces would make antibodies for about a week or two weeks. And if he took the mouse that was uh, making those antibodies and took those B cells and transferred them to another mouse, a genetically a genetic identical twin mouse, who was radiated to wipe out his own immune system. So these, these donor cells from this mouse, if he got the dose just right, those little pieces that he took out of the spleen would only have one B cell from the donor mouse. And so when he cut those little pieces in the, in the trays in the incubator, they would make antibodies, but those antibodies would be coming from one original B cell from the donor mouse. So they were called monoclonal antibodies. They come from one clone of cells originating from one original B cell. So those antibodies were unique and individual, and it seemed like a good way to make antibodies to tell the difference between cancer cells and normal cells. The good thing about it is one could make antibodies one at a time and search for really great antibodies and could tell the difference between cancer cells and normal cells. The bad thing about it is that these cells didn't live forever. They would die after about a week or two in the tray in the incubator, and so you had very small quantities of these antibodies. But the really big breakthrough came the next year, in 1975, when two uh, scientists working in England uh, figured out a way to immortalize, make live forever, 
the cells that make the antibodies. And what they did is they took the mouse, the same kind of a mouse, and they got from the spleen of that mouse, that the B cells that make the antibodies, and they fused them together with another cancer cell that had the property of living forever. In, as long as you keep feeding it, it keeps growing and living forever. So the cells from the mouse that wouldn't live forever were fused to the cells that would live forever, and they then made a hybrid between the two cells, and that cell lives forever and makes the antibodies from that original mouse. So now we had a way of capturing these antibodies uh, and having them forever and having unlimited quantities of these monoclonal antibodies. So then the, then the handwriting was on the All we had to do was find the good cells uh, that could make antibodies that could really tell the difference between cancer cells and normal cells, and we could make them live forever, and we could capture them, we could make treatments for cancer based on these antibodies. We eventually uh, we were able to make antibodies for our patients with lymphoma that could recognize a target on the lymphoma cells uh, that was not on normal cells. And we use these antibodies uh, to treat people. So this is a man by the name of Philip Carr, who uh, in 1981 had lymphoma, and his lymphoma had stopped responding to the usual treatments. And we had made an antibody, a monoclonal antibody, for his lymphoma, special just for his own lymphoma, and we treated him with that. And this is a picture of him five years later, after he'd been treated. Uh, he was 72 years old at the time. This is a picture from the cover of TV Guide magazine, where he went on television to tell his story. We published this in the journal in 1982. It became clear that, that uh, um, people liked this idea because antibodies were wholesome, natural, and without side effects. And that turned out to be the case. Uh, they were pretty much without side effects, and they could have really amazing effects uh, if you could get just the right antibody to target the cancer cell. So we did this a total of 52 times for 52 different people. We made a monoclonal antibody for their cancer, custom-made for each of the 52 people, and we treated them all. And about uh, 33 of those 52 had major beneficial effects on their tumors, and some of these effects have lasted for a decade or more, and now going on two decades. Mr. Carr is still alive and well uh, about uh, 25 years later now. But it was hard to keep doing it on a customized basis, basis for each person. So another antibody was made, which became now known as rituxan, rituximab. And maybe some of them have actually uh, had experience with this, with this antibody and been treated by it. It reacts with a target on the lymphoma cells that's not special to each person, but it's on everybody's lymphoma cells. So it's a little more generic. It's not custom made for each person, but it's pretty specific because it only reacts with the, uh, the lymphoma cells and, and, the, and the class of cells that I told you about in the beginning, uh, the B lymphocytes. Most of the lymphomas come for these B cells. And the target uh, of this antibody is called CD20. The diagram of, of the membrane of a, of a, of a B cell or a, or a lymphoma cell showing the molecule, the target of the antibody, sticking out uh, beyond the surface of the cell. So this target is on uh, almost all of the lymphoma patients' uh, tumors. Uh, and it, this target has a function in the cell, but we don't know quite what the function is. We know that that we can dispense with this molecule because we, uh, mice have been made who don't have this gene for this, for this target, and the mice are normal. 
lacking this target. So uh, we don't know exactly what it does, but it seems to be redundant uh, in the normal physiology of the B cell. And uh, if you give this antibody rituximab to people with lymphoma, what happens is their normal B cells go away from the blood and they disappear for about a year. And that was unexpected. We didn't know that that would happen. And moreover, we didn't know that that would be safe. Without to be safe, you can do without your normal B cells for about a year and it doesn't seem to lead to any problems. And it really is quite effective in treating people with lymphoma. So this was the trial that was done uh, across the country. 166 patients were treated with this antibody, rituximab, and about half of them, 48% of them, had a response. That means their tumor would shrink and go away, at least temporarily. And it was on the basis of this result and the fact that it had very little in the way of side effects that the FDA approved this as the first monoclonal antibody for the treatment of any kind of cancer in people. So this was in 1997. This is from the, from the uh, San Francisco Chronicle. Uh, talks about the FDA approving this, this new cancer treatment. Uh, very few side effects. There are a number of ways to measure success. This is one way to measure success. How many people in our field publish papers on the subject? So this was the first clinical trial that we did here at Stanford with this antibody. In 19, late 1993, we reported that result. Uh, shortly thereafter, there are a number of publications coming out about it, mostly from us and a few of our uh, competitors. And then in 1997, the FDA approved the drug, and then a lot of people got into the act. So more and more patients became treated with this drug, results became known, publications occurred. So this is one way of measuring success. Another way of measuring success is the stock value of the companies <laughs> Uh, that made this antibody. This is Genentech and this is IDEC, and here is the stock value of these two companies over time. You'll notice that there's a slight delay here of about six months between the time when the scientists knew the answer and the time when the investors knew the answer. That's kind of interesting. The real way of measuring success is how many people have received this treatment now. Over a half million people around the world have now received this treatment. We use it every day here in the clinic uh, in this, in this uh, building. It's in the pharmacy. We write prescriptions for this drug. And uh, everyone with lymphoma now gets this drug uh, at least once during the course of their illness. So originally, the drug was approved for use only after the regular treatments, the more conventional treatments, had stopped working. And still, to this day, that's the only approval that the FDA has given for this drug. But once it became available, once the FDA approves a drug and the doctors get hold of it, they can try it in other situations. Once it's in the pharmacy, you can write a prescription for it. So you can use it uh, before any other therapy has been used to delay or avoid the chemotherapy. I mean, nobody likes to get chemotherapy. And particularly with one kind of lymphoma called low-grade lymphoma, it's now became very popular to use uh, as, the, as the first treatment for the disease. It's also used after chemotherapy as a, what we call an adjuvant treatment to give extra effect after chemotherapy. It's also used in combination with other therapies, with chemotherapy, with other biologics, with other antibodies. And now more and more it's become used as a maintenance treatment after any of these treatments have been given and have worked to keep giving it to keep the tumor from coming back. So most of the use of this uh, 
antibody drug is in addition to what the FDA originally approved the drug for. And that's kind of a, a general lesson about new treatments that become approved. They uh, usually have one thing, that, one situation they get approved for, and then they become known to work in other situations as well. And gradually the FDA gives approvals for these other situations as well, which will happen for this drug. So we have a lot of questions about this. Uh, why does it work so well? Why doesn't it always work? I only, when I showed you that result that got it approved, it only 50% of the people actually respond to this drug. And that means 50% don't respond. We don't know why the, uh, the effect lasts so long. We give the drug on four successive weeks, and then we stop, and then the tumors shrink and go away. And the effect can last on the average of about a year just from that one four-week treatment. And then there's the question about that target. Uh, the target of the antibody called CD20, is that a special target? Or could we have other antibodies against other targets that would also give just as good or even better effect? And so I think the answers to these questions are, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, and no. And some of the work we've done to try to figure this stuff out is summarized here. There are a lot of ideas about how it works. So this is the tumor cell. It has its target on its surface called CD20 I talked about. And the antibody comes along and binds to that target and sits on the tumor cell. It could deliver a signal through that target directly telling the cell to die or to stop growing. So a direct signaling. It could attract other molecules from the blood that attach to the antibody and poison the cell. It could attract other cells in the body, so-called killer cells, that have a receptor for the back end of the antibody molecule, and that those killer cells, by releasing uh, toxic substances, kill the tumor cell. Or it could work indirectly by getting the tumor cell to be swallowed by other cells that chew it up and what we call present the, the remnants of the tumor cell to the, to the T cells that I spoke about in the beginning, uh, part of the immune system. So there is some evidence for each of these things as being an explanation for how this drug works. But I think that the main way it works is this way over here. And the reason I say that is because of this receptor that I uh, mentioned on these killer cells that bind to the back end of the antibody molecule. That receptor comes in several different forms. And people inherit different forms from their mother or their father. And so everybody in this room has a slightly has one or another form of this receptor that you inherit genetically. And it turns out to make a big difference which genetic form you have as to your chances of the antibody working on your, if you have lymphoma. Uh, and I'll show you that result here. So this is the receptor that I speak about on the, on the killer cell. It comes in two different forms. And if we test people who've been treated with this antibody for which form they have of the receptor, it makes a big difference which form they have as to their outcome of the treatment. And that's summarized here. I'll just show you one little bit of this uh, information. So there are three different, you can have uh, the form uh, that you get from your mother and from your father, and they can both be the same one called the V form, or you can inherit the form from your mother and father of the other type called the F form, or you can get one form from your mother and one form from your father, and you, then the uh, half and half. And so it turns out if you have this genetic makeup, your chances of responding to the rituxan drug are 80%. Whereas if you have either, the, either of these other two types, your chances are 
with a big difference, a statistically significant difference. And uh, if you look at early at six months or later at 12 months, this difference uh, holds. So I took this data and I showed it to the company that makes the drug, Genentech, at their, uh, their research uh, retreat that they have every year. And I told them that it looks like, to me, that uh, at the time the drug was selling for a billion dollars a year, now it's uh, closer to two billion dollars a year. But at the time I told them it looks like we can figure out who's going to respond and who's not going to respond, so we can just treat the people who are going to respond and not treat the people who are not, have a lower chance of responding. So I guess we just turned a billion dollar drug into a half a billion dollar drug. Uh, they didn't laugh. But I guess that the real message is if we can figure out how to make these people respond by giving drug or a different dose, a different schedule, or a different combination with other treatments, maybe we can get these response rates up as high as these response rates, and then maybe they can sell twice as much drug to these people. So it's not all bad news for the company. It might be good news. And this shows what happens to people who get uh, treated with, with this drug, Rituxan. And what's plotted here is the proportion of people who are uh, free of recurrence of their lymphoma. And this is the time it takes for the lymphoma to come back and grow again after the treatment. So if you have the right genetic form, uh, you have a, a much longer time before your lymphoma is going to start to grow again than if you have the wrong genetic form. There's a big difference between these. But the real message is everybody's lymphoma grows again if you wait long enough. So this drug has not solved the problem of lymphoma. This drug is a temporizing measure. It's one treatment among many that we have. But we have a lot of potential here to develop new monoclonal antibodies, new drugs, to keep uh, all these people's lymphomas from coming back. So there's a lot more research needing to be done, a lot more potential to improve the outcome. And the, and the real message is not the difference between these two curves. The real message is that we have a lot more work to do to solve this problem eventually. So this drug is only one. It's only one monoclonal antibody. And I don't think that target is so special. We know many other targets on the lymphoma cells uh, that we can make antibodies, and many people are making antibodies against and testing. And I think that we look forward to a time when we're going to have a cocktail of these monoclonal antibodies that we can customize for the people who have these targets on their tumors. And we can treat people with five or six or even 10 of these antibodies in a mixture, uh, each one of them having an effect as good as this, and maybe together, having a much big, bigger effect. So I really see the future of this um, strategy as being, uh, now that we've shown that one can do a good job, and there are others out there that can to, to eventually blend them together into a mixture of treatments uh, to attack the tumor cell from a number of different uh, angles and, and, and uh, pile up on the tumor cell and get a big, bigger effect. So I think the message here is that, that uh, these monoclonal antibodies, uh, this is a, a long story, it's a 30-year story, uh, they can be very effective drugs. Many targets to go after to make antibodies against. And we're going to have new ways of, of finding to, to use these antibodies. And we have a lot of potential ways or mechanisms of action, we call them, ways these antibodies can work. And we have some issues about why they stop working and why the tumor cells become resistant to them. We can predict efficacy uh, by knowing the genes of the people who, who get treated with the antibodies. And uh, eventually, 
I look forward to a time when we can use these antibodies or these mild and gentle even instead of chemotherapy. And of course, with the approval recently of, of a drug uh, like this for, for breast cancer, and now recently two of them for colon cancer, this story is going to go way beyond the treatment of lymphoma. It's going to eventually wind up in the treatment of every kind of cancer. With that, I think I'd like to stop my prepared remarks and open it up to questions, because I'm sure a lot of you have questions about things that I've said. So thank you very much for your attention. The question was, do you need to have the target on the tumor cell for it to work? And the answer is yes, you need to have the target. And the second question is, is this target on other kinds of cancer or just lymphoma? And for this one, it's only on lymphoma. But we have other targets, like the one for breast cancer or the one for colon cancer, that are present on other kinds of cancer. Does the lymphoma always come back? And I, as I pointed out, I showed you the curve, the red one and the black one, over time. And eventually, those curves get pretty close to zero. That means nobody is coming back if you wait long enough. We do have a few people who were treated on the original trial of that antibody, which was about eight years ago now, whose lymphoma has not come back. So it's, it's not that every single one comes back, but it's rarely there's, there's a, a long-lasting effect that, that can last um, more than five years. Is there immunity that develops uh, with repeated use of the drug? And the answer is yes. It's one of the questions we're working on. If we use what we, there are two, side, two answers to the question. One is that you can use the drug over and over again. So the results I showed here were for single time use. So when the tumor comes back, you can treat it again with the same drug. And about half the time, it'll work again. And you can treat it a third time and sometimes a fourth and a fifth time. And it's really interesting that if, the, if it responds a second time or a third time, the length of that response can be longer than the, it, the length of the first.
The preceding program was brought to you by Stanford on iTunes U and is copyrighted by the Board of Trustees of the Leland Stanford Junior University. Please visit us at itunes.stanford.edu.